Dr. David Rosemarin, of course, is the founder of the Center for Anxiety. He's been a guest of ours uh, prior uh, to today's visit here at JM and the AM. I'd go through the whole resume, but my gosh, how much can I impress the audience with uh, <laughs> Dr. Rosemarin's credentials? <laughs> I hope you don't mind me saying that. I do. <laughs> Very much so. Your parents, I sure I assure you don't mind. <laughs> anyway, who's who am I to argue? Um centerforanxiety.org is the website, centerforanxiety.org. And let me point out a couple of things where we begin our conversation. Number one is they continue to provide different support groups at their older varieties of loca- older variety of locations. Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn, the West fifty seventh Street location in Manhattan, Rockland County up on Route fifty nine in Suffern, um, including the OCD support groups, um, their lunch and learn programs, and a whole host of community events, including this coming Sunday night, where a lot of people have uh, in our community uh, set aside time to get involved in community events. Um, I guess that's one way of putting it. The Center for Anxiety and the Base Medrash Arachayim Community Learning Center invite you to participate in the second lecture of a five-part lecture series given by Dr. Gabriel Hafnung. It'll be an interactive workshop discussing effective parenting in the modern world, what science and psychology have to say. This will be happening starting at 8.45 p.m. at the Base Medrash Orachayim on Forche Road up in Muncie, New York. They'll discuss scientific parenting, good and bad versus effective and ineffective. Uh, they'll talk about skills of effective parents, catch your child being good and beyond, and what the bottom line is with punishment. Boy, oh boy, I have to start rethinking everything I've done as a parent. Uh, <laughs> go to centerforanxiety.org, centerforanxiety.org, or dial 888-837-7473, 888-837-7473. Welcome back to JM and the AM. Thanks for having me. You, you followed a perfect guest for the topic of anxiety as we were discussing Yeshiva tuition. Huh. I mean, what makes people more anxious in the Jewish world than that, huh? No kidding. <laughs> a financial crunch is uh, certainly a context for uh, for anxiety issues. Yeah, no question about that. <laughs> and um, this um, this lecture series that's, uh, that's happening up in Rockland County and continuing on Sunday night, just when I look at the topics that are being discussed, I only half-jokingly say that I have to reassess my own parenting skills because you bring up stuff here that that frankly we either never thought of or never thought of implementing now, now again I would ho- I would like to thank that that you know parents out there including myself do catch our child being good which I assume means pointing out to kids you know positive reinforcement when they're doing something uh, the right way right. but but I never saw it you know addressed as a as a topic like that well, a lot of what we're doing in our program here, which is part of our innovation, are really clear, uh, easy to implement strategies that make a massive, massive difference. And reduce anxiety. And reduce anxiety, among other things. Right. Um, and the other thing is they can reduce anxiety in the kids right. because we've seen such a major uptick in uh, anxiety and related concerns among children and adolescents. Um, and the parenting and also school-based education are a huge part of that in preventing it. Remind me of what you told us last time. I mean, your your center is specifically for adults, or are are there programs? Oh no, for we have plenty of programs for children. Children can participate as young as three, as three years old. Yeah, one of our programs, which is pretty innovative, called Parent Child Interaction Therapy. Did I tell you about? That? I don't I think remember. I mentioned it last time. Parent Child Interaction Therapy is pretty cool. The idea behind it is that it's for it's. I'll tell you, it's for firstly is children between about ages of three and let's say seven or eight who are having behavioral problems. Not necessarily anxiety, right. in fact, but uh, that's that's what the treatment's for. And um, what we do is we bring in the parent 
with the child, and we have them interacting together, and the parent has a Bluetooth in their ear, and a therapist is behind a one-way mirror coaching the parent live in how to interact with their child in an effective way and shaping the parent's behavior. It's incredibly effective because, you know, previously it was done as a lot of play therapy. Right. Play therapy with kids. Take your kid. Role-playing and all that. Exactly. Put them with a therapist for an hour a week. Right. And how much of that is going to generalize? The kid is going to forget within 10 seconds of leaving your office what's going on. And the data is very clear that it just wasn't, it's not effective. But why is the in-the-ear process for a parent more effective? Right. Parents want to learn how to become better parents, especially when they have an out-of-control kid. Right. They need clear, specific guidance in what to do. And having somebody, a bug-in-the-ear approach with a therapist, a live therapist, coaching them in what to do, it's like a dream come true for a lot of these parents. And it generalizes. They learn in one hour a week, sometimes a little more, a little less, right. what to do outside of the therapy room, and it's amazingly effective. What if uh, what if the child does not exhibit their out-of-controlness while this session is that's going on? Part, that's actually one of the things we, <laughs> believe it or not, we hope for that. What? Yeah, I'll tell you why, because then, the, then we get to coach the parent live in a difficult situation, and that's specifically what we want that, to Well, that's what I'm saying. You, wa you want the kid to act out. Yeah, well, I'm saying what if the kid not does, really, not, right. does we, not exhibit the out-of-controlness? Oh, well, we have, our, we have ways, to, have ways, <laughs> ways to get them to do <laughs> get so. Them huh? to, to get them. Well, it doesn't take much. I mean, when you have a kid who's not listening to parental right. authority, all you have to do is give a command. Right. And if the child's not going to listen... One other aspect of PCIT, though, is that parents need, we need a protracted period of building a relationship with the child. And protracted period, I mean like six to eight weeks, okay? Right. We're not talking about, you know, years um, before something like discipline can occur. And there's really two stages of treatment. There's a child-directed approach, which is forming a better relationship with the child. And then there's a parent-directed approach where parents learn to give commands and children learn to, to listen to them on the first time. You know, one of the topics on this list is what's the bottom line with punishment? Good question. Um, now we'll see how 2017 you are, because I'm, I'm sure today some would argue that punishment is completely uh, you know, useless or close to useless, let's put it that way. Or maybe the, the traditional punishments are close to useless. What, what are we going to learn you know, Sunday night uh, about punishment from this session. I mean, there's, there's no question that positive reinforcement is more effective right. in shaping behavior. That, that, that data is very clear. But when dealing with something that deserves punishment... There are, there for sure is a context for punishment. There is, there are cases where you have to use punishment in incidents. And if parents don't do that, then that could cause a significant damage, frankly, to the parent-child relationship. Right. But it has to occur in... Um, uh, within a, a close relationship with the child. What feels like a loving right. environment. Correct. And what's often lacking is that love and that connection, and therefore punishing without that in place can be even more dangerous, and that's what you see today. Yeah. I see a lot of things today. Yeah, and then some. It's a it's a complicated society we have, isn't it not? <laughs> I I will tell you firsthand, based on what comes through our door, but uh, very complicated. And everything out there is obviously in our community. The, the, not that that point has to really be made anymore. We used to make it so often, ten twenty years ago, but now it's like you know it's so commonplace that we know that every everything we read about is happening in our community as well. So. Yeah, I'll even speak to that point because I've done quite a bit of uh, empirical research, scientific studies on what is mental health like within the Jewish community, and even how does that compare to outside. Um, and a fair number of published studies, uh, peer reviewed 
you know, works that I, my colleagues and I, um, Dr. Tzvi Piratinsky, who is at, uh, now is at Toro College, and we, we've worked together um, quite a bit on that. We found that levels of anxiety and depression and other issues are the same within the Jewish community outside, um, which is actually pretty good. Considering you think, you think it might be more, you think right? it'd be more. You know, if you take into account tuitions right. and, and other uh, and other major stressors, large that, families, everything. yeah, large family sizes. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of stressors um, on us. Also, just uh, being from a different culture and right. trying to taking off yomtiv and Shabbos, and right. it's two day yomtiv here in, in the United States, and you know having financial considerations on, on top of that. So that's a very significant stress. So you would actually expect more in many ways. We don't find that, but we do find the same levels. And therefore, we need treatments. 100%. Uh, CenterForAnxiety.org is the website. Now, this is the time of year because, I mean, look, in our community, obviously, we're not, we're not celebrating things this time of year outside of Hanukkah, which just ended. Uh, but because of the media push and the environment that we're in, a lot of people are talking about recommitment. A lot of people over the next few days, you'll hear it, every, all of us will hear it, talking about what they call New Year's resolutions, right. a new start, a new beginning. And then, of course, as most people will admit, by January 2nd, those resolutions have been completely forgotten. Right. Forgot about whether they've been implemented or not. People forget they even made them. Right. Or what they is, is renewed commitment to a discipline or to something that's important to people out there important in solving anxiety issues? Hugely important. There's no question that people who make firm, clear commitments um, do better and end up getting closer to their ultimate goals in life than, than people who do not. Um, but there are a couple of uh, issues there. Sometimes the way that they make the commitment or the, you know, sometimes it seems like a commitment, but it's not really. Right. Those New Year's, I'll say a New Year's resolution mm -hmm. can be um, effective or ineffective depending on the way that it is made. And um, I, I guess what's most obvious would be the more unrealistic you resolve, the more unrealistic your resolution is, the more likely it's never going to be accomplished. That's definitely one piece of it, is that it has to be realistic. Right. Um, there are a couple things that are... there. One thing is that even more is actually making a commitment. Um, being very clear about the fact that somebody wants to change. Some people have dreams and hopes, and I mean, everybody has dreams mm. and hopes and ideas about what they you know want to do. Um, but uh, if it's not something that's that uh, a person has actually firmly resolved that they want to change, it's not going to happen. Right. All right. So, are there tips for, uh, you know, for people to approach this? Is there a uh, yeah, absolutely uh, guidelines you would give them? Absolutely. Um, firstly, just a little bit of background information is interesting. If you look at, uh, um, you know, Google search terms in uh, in December and January, <laughs> yeah, guess besides, the top two besides holiday party, <laughs> right? Guess guess what the top Don't two are. Don't tell me resolution. Well, pretty close. Diet and oh, gym. Oh my gosh, is that hilarious? Yep. Um, <laughs> but you, so people are thinking about change. Right. They're thinking. I mean, that's a good global index right. of you know people are thinking about making some sort of lifestyle change. But then take a guess whether people actually gain or lose weight over the course of time. I mean, I would guess of course, the majority gain. Of course. Yeah. The New England Journal of Medicine reported a couple of years ago. Oh, I hope this isn't a large number. It's bad. <laughs> Between the ages of 25 and 44, the annual, annual increase in weight um, is about 3.4% for men and 5.2% for women. No matter what their resolution is at the end of the year. <laughs> so what does that tell you? What does that tell you where mm. people are going? Ineffective. Um, <laughs> yeah, at least a couple pounds uh, a year that people are putting on. So um, there, is, uh, there is some s s psychological science, though, that tells us about how to not make those ineffective solutions. There's a really um, wonderful and, and famous psychologist named Dr. John Norcross, mm. 
He's from uh, University of Scranton. He actually came to our office to give a talk a couple uh, a couple months ago. When was that? I think it was November. Um, our very close friend and colleague, Dr. Chaim Siegel, um, he, he was uh, the one who was who brought him in, and we were very fortunate to be able to hear Dr. Norcross. He didn't present on this data, but there's a study that he published, which was pretty cool. Um, Basically, there, there. You can group down people who make resolutions. New Year's on resolu- so specifically on New Year's resolutions. You can group them into three categories. There are people who are not interested in change. Right. Fair enough. There are people who are thinking about change and contemplating it, and then there are people who actually make a firm resolve to change, who decide in their mind, "I am going to be a different person." Um, the people who aren't interested, do they change? I would think no, not. <laughs> of course not. The people who contemplate, what happens two weeks later? Right, they're all, they're right. off the wagon. Within six months, only four percent of them have made any substantial change, right. which is actually pretty high if you think right. about it. But okay, it shows the power of contemplation alone. But four percent is not exactly, you know, maybe might not even be better than chance, frankly. Right. Of the people who make a firm resolution, um, at six months, it's still it's it's only forty six percent. Um, but that's still 10 times more. Mm-hmm. So this idea of just making a firm commitment, it's like chuva, right? right. It's a process of repentance. Right. In many make, cases, it lasts for a while. It actually does. Right. It does last, making that commitment. Why is this tied into anxiety? Why is this a, an anxiety reducer? Oh, there are so many reasons why. You know, What would be the most obvious one? Like, why? What, what, what is it about commitment or about being in, on a habitual program that's, that's new for you? Uh, that would reduce anxiety. Well, I'll tell it to you. I'll tell it to you like this. Um, one of the things that makes people anxious is when they avoid. People who avoid circumstances that are uncomfortable mm. tend to be a lot more anxious. In fact, one of the reasons I think why people are so anxious today is specifically because we're so driven to avoid pain and to pursue pleasure. People want to feel comfortable, right. and that pursuit of comfort makes um, create, creates avoidance and then fear settles in in the context of that avoidance. Right. So when people make a commitment, it's scary. They actually are facing a fear like, I have to do this. And they're not avoiding. They're, they're approaching what they want to do in life and they're moving forward. So it, the, the irony is that when you make a commitment, you experience a little bit more anxiety in the short run mm-hmm. and that experience of anxiety helps you to feel more calm in the long run boy oh boy i'll tell you we are one complicated machine aren't we that's uh I, we love it that's the, this the, is our the job human, the human being this Very is our job uh the center for anxiety presents this coming sunday night up in muncie new york at the base medrash or in part two of their five-part interactive workshop what science and psychology have to say about effective parenting in the modern world, all of you are invited, of course. Uh, centerforanxiety.org is the website, centerforanxiety.org. It starts 8.45 p.m. up in Muncie, New York, this coming Sunday. Phone number 888-837-7473, 888-837-7473. I apologize that we're uh, uh, practically out of time, but I do want to mention that the OCD support groups, the Lunch and Learn programs, what am I forgetting? The... Um, there are other support groups as well that are going on, correct? Well, the biggest thing is our uh, free consults. Free that consults. 30 minutes, people can call up and speak to any member of my staff, and uh, we're happy to 
to talk to you about any concern that you might have under the entire sun. Just be sure to mention the Nachum Siegel show. Yes, use my name, folks. <laughs> Already it gets you a free 30 minutes. How do you like that? 888-837-7473 is the number. And again, it's centerforanxiety.org. Dr. David Ross Marin is, of course, the founder and director of uh, all four locations of the Center for Anxiety. I thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having me again. And we will have an opportunity to speak more about all this. Looking forward. Yeah. What's more What's more of a wonderful topic than anxiety? <laughs> it, is just, uh, it is just something that we have, all have to face up to. Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.